With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Sexton trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for the Chase Down Podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world for connects. podcasts around the globe. It, that's true. And interrupting me there, connected via Zoom is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Justin, I'm just about thinking we're back. Let's go. <laughs> Real Seven John Wick Cavaliers. Energy. I'm feeling really, really good about this team, despite some bummer news that uh, that hit the waves yesterday. But, you know, I mean, the vibes are pretty immaculate overall about this team right now. So I'm feeling good. I, I mean, the, the vibes are spectacular because we have a very special guest. Dan Devine is joining us from the ringer. Big fan of you, Dan. Uh, really, really excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I mean, it is nice to be able to talk to people at like an exciting time of the season, excited, like not just that it's a new year, but also like so much to be excited about in Cleveland with the Cavs. So I'm glad you had me on now and not like at a time where uh, I would have had to say some bad things. I can say good things always. It's very exciting. You, you know, have, having on a guest three weeks into a Cavs season historically probably would, would be a bit of a bleaker time. A risky proposition, Dan. Uh, definitely very risky. And I, I'm excited to have you on because I, I've always enjoyed your work over the years because, and, and this might sound very simple, but you like basketball. And, and that comes through <laughs> in your work and, and you understand that basketball is fun. This is entertainment. And, and there's just not enough of that here. And, and we're really, really excited to have you on with us because generally that's what we try to do we try to have some fun while talking basketball because at the end of the day the nba is ridiculous and, and we'd be remiss if we didn't shout out ball don't lie which was among oh. our favorite pu publications back in the day and obviously we love the ringer as well so thanks for coming on but i gotta ask you you know you obviously wrote a, a really great piece about this weird team with some mismatched pieces that are you know they're kind of succeeding i whether it's in spite of or because of it's kind of still the mystery um, but like, what have just, you know, what are your 10,000 foot view thoughts on this team so far this year? Well, I think, well, first off, thank you for all the nice things you said. It's uh, always nice to hear so many nice things about, <laughs> about the work. Cause a lot of times it just feels like you're kind of throwing the words into a hole. So it's cool to hear that, that they're getting someplace. Um, 
my 10,000 foot view on the team is like, there is, while I don't know that it might, I would necessarily believe that starting three, seven footers for the foreseeable future is like a, a perfect plan, perfect team building. Um, I don't know if Ricky Rubio is going to shoot eight for eight for three every uh, game that is going to hurt my heart as a Knicks fan. <laughs> um, uh, but I think that the underlying way this looks is pretty, pretty solid. Like Jared Allen, a lot of people were unsure about the price tag of Jared Allen in, in restricted free agency. But um, if he's giving you consistent, improved offensive performance, showing like more back to the basket game, more face-up game uh, on the top of what he's already giving you with, with rim protection, rim running, attacking the offensive glass and everything. That looks like it could be money well spent, especially given how he and Evan Mobley are dovetailing together on the defensive end and giving Cleveland a defensive identity that it hasn't had, even to the, the latter-day LeBron teams, like those were yeah. offense juggernauts. They were not defensive first teams. So that you're seeing a team that's sort of building inside out and building, it's like, like a, a football team building along the offensive and defensive line. You're protecting the rim and you're being able to move out. And I think obviously what everybody's so excited about is that you're seeing those underlying basics with the Allen Mobley partnership. And then what Mobley has already shown you gives you the opportunity to dream really, really big. And uh, obviously the uh, breakout performance at, at MSG, but just so much uh, that's sort of exciting about what his game could become as you move forward. Yeah, yeah and really, I think for me, part of why the the Sexton injury wasn't so devastating is this year is really about providing a proof of concept, right? Like when you are starting six guys that, or when you have six core guys that are 24 guys, or younger. They really are. They're really you know, breaking uh, the mold. A, a little bit of that that hockey power play going on there. But um, yeah, like when you have the, that many young players, you're playing for more than just this season, right? Like you, you're looking to find out what works from a chemistry standpoint. And, and obviously uh, we don't know how long Sexton's going to be out, but it's an opportunity for other guys to step up um and, and to kind of fill in for that void so it's obviously crushing uh especially with him being in in a contract year with him sacrificing in a lot of ways to this season to you know be more than just a score right to, to play off ball really competing on defense making some strides there uh obviously hurts um but it does sound like isaac okoro may be back tomorrow uh chris fedor of cleveland.com did mention that it seems like uh, okoro does have the inside track at that shooting guard position um so let's let's start there actually how, how do you think the Cavs are going to be able to navigate that injury and especially managing that three three big lineup once Laurie Markkinen comes back with Okoro at the shooting guard position rather than Colin Sexton. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because from a like the way you draw up roster management, like Okoro, obviously, if the shot comes along, then he looks a lot more like what you'd really hope for out of a two guard with the size, the range, the defensive capabilities. And then if he's able to add the, you know, some more three point and off the dribble game, which I know he, he showed some of that uh, like towards the end of last season, the off the dribble game. And obviously he was trying to stretch some of that in summer league, but that's clearly not as far along as his defensive work. Um, but in terms of the way uh, your, your lineup looks, obviously pairing, a smaller point guard in Garland with a larger, uh, more defensively capable two guard in a coral, like that kind of starts to make a little more sense mm -hmm. the way that the lineup works out. Um, I think what I'm most interested about from, a, it's almost like a problem solving perspective. Um, why, you know, you're absolutely right to point to the, how, how heartbreaking this is for, uh, you know, for Colin Sexton, uh, you know, be, being derailed in the early going of, of a big year for him, but from the Cavs on court product, like, 
he was their leading shot taker in the fourth quarter by kind of a lot. And the usage rate up around 30% in the fourth quarter of games, even the season he has not gotten really out of the blocks quite yet, but it was pretty clear when you needed offensive, you need somebody to take the ball and try to make something happen in the fourth quarter. And especially in a tight game, he was going to be your number one option. He'd earned yeah. that over the last couple of seasons. So now where did those touches and shots get redistributed? Um, is Darius Garland, obviously he's going to have the ball in his hands more often, does that mean he's calling his own number more frequently? Is it more just you're running those one five one four pick and rolls and you're trying to see what opens up? Is his pull-up game going to be become a bigger factor? Um, where do they look in terms of spacing the floor? Like, is it a lot of one five with you know Mobley in the dunker spot? Do you try to do one four and kind of flatten out Allen and then let Evan Mobley play make in the middle of the floor, which he's shown a real aptitude for early uh, in his I career, mean, especially in that Knicks game? I mean, he killed him on the short roll. Absolutely. And then, and, and, you know, the geometry starts to look a little bit different depending on what, you know, how you come up with your crunch time five, obviously with the way Ricky Rubio has played early in the season and the way he's capable of shooting the ball um, it's, you know, not an elite shooter, but he's having those nights. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of adds more, it adds more wrinkles to what the, what the Cavs offense can look like late in games. Markin and as you mentioned, you know, also similarly slow starting with his shot, but that's what he's there for. He's there to be that spacer and to be that, uh, you know, pick and pop catch and shoot option. I just think that the, what I sort of settled on when I was writing about the three big look and the way the Cavs had, had sort of appeared in the early going was that there's just a lot of kind of funky optionality with the way the lineups look because it was super small backcourt, super big front court. <laughs> and then like cross matches were weird. And you're running a lot of like four or five pick and rolls with marketing and handling and mobile handling. And then guys screening for one another. It just felt like a lot of possibility in kind of an interesting way. Obviously, you'd love to have everybody healthy to be able to sort through that. But I think that some of this could wind up being clarifying. If you give a steadier diet of looks late in games and touches late in games to Mobley, to Garland, and they really rise up with that, mm -hmm. that help, that really helps clarify for you. I can't think what your pecking order is and what your organizational philosophy might need to be moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've all, everyone in the Cavs fan base has been saying, Darius, shoot more, Darius, shoot more, Darius, right. shoot more. Yeah. And, you know, we've always, and I think for some people and not, I don't think this podcast, but I think for some people, <laughs> Sexton has become something of a boogeyman, you know, it's like, oh, this sure. guy is limiting Darius ceiling. And, you know, we've always been of the opinion, like Darius kind of has to be the one to shoot more, decide to shoot more. I mean, yeah. he's got the ball plenty. And, you know, I do think that this is really the test because within Cleveland and even some there, you know, there are rumbles outside of Cleveland that. Darius has that star potential. Obviously, Steph Curry gassed him up before the year. And what we're seeing so far is solid, you know, I would say really good above average point guard play, you know, yeah. 17 and seven. Well, um, a little more in that like Kyle Lowry, like game manager. Yeah, I'll take yeah. a shot if Mon I need to late, but uh, really kind of prioritizing the, the floor, uh, the flow of the team rather than calling it their own number like a Damian Lillard or, or that caliber of point guard. And, and short of the Raptors game where he was incendiary in the fourth, he hasn't been that like, you know, fire starter on offense. So I think it's a great opportunity for Darius to be like, OK, you're really the best thing this team's got in terms of shot creation when things <laughs> breakdown and I, I i'm i'm totally with you and i'm also excited to see okoro at the two um and and that's something that you know uh, Fed, uh chris fedor also reported that jb thinks uh okoro is a two i know a lot of members of the caps fan base think okoro is a two and it was kind a of a little easier game. for him to bully guards versus uh <laughs> versus wings right like he was able to get to the rim a little more frequently late in the season when he was playing at that shooting guard position 
Yeah. So, I'm, funny, I'm, yeah, go ahead, Dan. Just one th thinking about it again, we're talking about sort of the schematic of what that looks like, not drawing a one to one comparison, but just kind of role definition and stylistic play. You know, if you're giving me, uh, you know, multiple bigs in the front court, uh, a past first facilitator point guard who sh should shoot more and sometimes mm -hmm. will frustrate people by not doing it, and a defense first shooting guard whose shot can kind of come and go, or his, his ability to impact the game offensively is, is trailing behind a little bit. Suddenly I start thinking about the, you know, the way, J, you know, JB Bickerstaff was coaching in Memphis and the way some of those Grizzlies lineups used to look where it was, we're running offense through two interior guys. We have like, who have, they're not just bruisers. They can do more offensively. Obviously the level of, of offensive talent and skill between Zach Randolph and Marcus Saul, it's a little bit different from where we, uh, both uh, Jared Allen and, Evan Mobley are at this point in their development. And, you know, it's not one-to-one -one comparisons, but again, in terms of frameworks of lineups that can work and make sense, I kind of, there's an outline there of at least something that we've seen before that mm -hmm. has been successful. And, uh, and I think also going, you know, going back to that idea of when marketing is back and if you stay super big up front, um, it's, you know, we've, we know that that's something that JB Bickerstaff has done before he's, he's run with longer lineups and multiple, a couple of centers at the same time in Memphis last year, obviously, uh, it was Larry Nance more in that, in that role as the jumbo three. So not a true seven footer, not really as, as much of a stretch, but like we we've seen, he likes to go with that. I think maybe, I mean, Dean Wade's been, I mean, Dean Wade's been starting, uh, yeah. In, yeah. in the interim. So clearly he likes the size. I'm worried uh, in the interim until uh, marketing gets back about the offense in a in a lineup with with Garland, Okoro, Wade, Mobley, Allen. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure, they, they they'd better put on the clamps because I think there's there's going to be three four minute stretches where this, these dudes do not score. But mm. I think that's what I think that's what's so interesting about again not, not to bring it back there there are actual games to play and there's win it's winning matters because you're seven and four the East is a is a tough. Uh, a tough nut to crack, but also like there's no reason based on what we've seen for the first few weeks here. Like if the, if this is the quality of the Cavaliers team, they shouldn't, there's no reason that they should not be, be thinking about like, we could absolutely be in that play in next. We should be that like, we are a solid defensive team. We have multiple ball handlers. We have a lot of smart offensive players who know their role and can contribute. Um, and we've been off to this offensive, you know, to this good start, even with like the guys that need to shoot for us, not shooting all that well. Yeah. So there's, a, there's, I think, reason to hope bigger. But uh, as you sort of go forward, it's like, well, Evan Mobley as, as power forward is going great. That, that lineup together is, is working really well. The offense, as you said, is kind of lagging behind. What, what does it look like when he plays five more often? Obviously, it's not going to be a primary lineup because you're, playing, you're paying Jared Allen $100 million and he's earning his money. But like, And defensively, it like? it's working. That's the most important thing is yes. that pairing is working defensively. And mm -hmm. Mobley is kind of that skeleton key that lets them play a slow-footed guy like Markin at the three. So let me, just a quick, very small sample size number thing, right? From our friends at cleaningtheglass.com. Mm -hmm. uh, Mobley at the four, most of those minutes coming with Allen, 101.4 points per 100 possessions allowed. So great, really excellent defense. 103.3 per 100 scored, not so hot, but still, yeah. you know, you're, you're a net positive. Move them to the five, and it's 122.2 points per 100 possessions scored. The offense opens up like crazy, but you're giving up almost 130 points per 100 with him at the center spot because you don't have quite as much size. You're playing smaller lineups. Uh, yeah, and, playing... and the personnel that's coming in at the four, I mean, for a stretch of the season, it's Kevin Love at the four. And like yep. because of the fact that Okoro's also been hurt and they just don't have great defensive personnel on the wing, when yep. you do 
uh, move Mobley to the five, you're typically playing Kevin Love and Laurie Markkinen at the same time at the yeah, three and right. the four, or or Kevin Love and Jetty Osman or Markkinen on Osman, and it's just like those aren't going to do it defensively. So yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's kind of like. You know, I feel like I've at least been a little disabused of this notion because I, I feel like I had a very like standard mindset when they were when they drafted him. I was like, okay, he's going to be a four for a while, but eventually he's going to need to be a five. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite so much there anymore. Like, if you can be this big and this skilled playing the four with someone as good as Jared Allen, like I just feel like they can make it work. Like, I'm not. I feel like he's really changed my mind with just how versatile and flexible he is. Well, it makes me think of like, you know, uh, again, not this is not a comparison. It's just a reference thing that pops into my brain. Like when I would go to basketball reference and look up Giannis and it would say like position and it just lists all of them all across (laughs) the screen. And when you're like, yeah, I'm watching Evan Mobley and I'm like, "Um, yeah, he can if if you are who you guard, he can guard anybody on a possession. Right. We've seen that, you know, you can go heads up with Trey Young and Damian Lillard on possessions late in games. I'm not really worried about you guarding too many people. Um, and if you can be a like, connector in the middle of the floor, uh, making passes to, you know, either on the short roll or, you know, being a, an outlet valve or release valve. And if you can be the kind of guy who can space out, obviously the, the jumper is not quite on the line yet, but the, the touch looks good. The confidence looks good. He doesn't look rushed with anything. I, so I have confidence that's going to come. And if he can handle enough to face up and like, break down a center at the three point line, Hezzy and come in and dunk, like what can't he do? And so if that's the case, yeah, what's the sense in, in putting some sort of positional label on it or putting them inside a box? Like, I think this is the season to kind of let, you know, we're not going to put too many guardrails on it. Let's color outside the lines and see what it, what it brings because uh, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely the time to get a little weird and try things. Did your opinion of kind of the, the Cavs offseason committing money, big money to Jared Allen and Laurie Markkinen, uh when they've invested in Evan Mobley as kind of a franchise cornerstone piece, did your opinion of those three together as being part of the long-term plan, whether it's playing Laurie at, at the three a little bit or maybe down the line when they're just kind of playing primarily the uh, five and four together, has your opinion of those three as a tandem changed based on what you've seen from Evan Mobley? Honestly, I think what my opinion of them have, might have changed based more on what I've seen from Markinen. Mm. Um, because being like he got paid to come in and be a, I mean, you know, he's not, he wasn't a max or anything like that, but he got paid and he's yeah. there. And, he, and like he came from being a power forward. He came from somebody, and the situation where like his star was on the wane and his touches were down and his role was kind of getting monkeyed around with. And now it's like, I got paid and I'm coming in here and I'm going to play big minutes. Yeah, but you're going to have to guard the opposing small forward every night. And that was not necessarily your strong suit to begin with. So you are coming in here and yes, this is what the money is for. Here you go. (laughs) And you are going to have to do a different and more difficult job. And his response to it is like, cool, I'm doing, I'm going to go do it. Now, obviously it's, you know, early days and small sample and yada, yada, yada. But like, if he's, and and it's not like he's locking people up on the outside, but if he's able to- helps. Absolutely. The effort helps. And then the size plays. He doesn't have to be an elite, uh, you know, stopper if he's able to fan out and everybody's able to fan out yeah. and you're covering the entire, you know, the like, like from sideline to sideline, basically. Um, and and, and if, if someone gets by you, Allen or Mobley is able to help, right? Like they, they're able to switch, whereas Laurie just kind of has to be that really lengthy guy on the perimeter and know that he has that support behind him. 
Yeah, and run those guys off the line and bring them inside. You know, it, it, schematically, it may, it starts to make sense and look a little better as long as the effort is there. Like that combination of effort, length, and commitment can uh, paper over a lot. And so, if you, if you were getting, uh, you know, sort of positive contributions in that way, while the shot still wasn't falling, and obviously, a Mobley is sort of is is the the centerpiece of that because his ability to kind of shape shift on any given possession on both ends of the court allows much more optionality there, but. Um, I, I expected it to just be a train wreck, like game, night one, opening night, they're playing, they're <laughs> playing didn't Memphis. go well opening night. Right. Well, but you're watching that and it's like, he's getting, he's you know drawn out into deep water by John Morant and you're like, Oh, here we go. And, but then they claw back into that game and, and, you know, they, they were not getting boat raced in those minutes as you went along. And then they were able, you know, there were a couple of possessions where you're seeing like, he's getting that smaller three or that smaller two and he's posting them up and he's getting into the lane and getting a good look. And that's not something that you want to go to all the time, but you'd like to see that because that was in his game in Chicago. It just kind of didn't stay part of it. And he, for a lot of reasons, injuries and other, you know, changes and the Jim, Jim Boylan of it all, a lot of, a lot of things, punch clocks and whatnot, knees <laughs> and whatnot. Um, it wound up kind of going by the wayside. And it's like, if you can reclaim, the offensive confidence there. And even if you don't have that yet, if you're getting that defensive buy-in and effort, then I'm like, oh, okay, that's a lot more interesting, especially once you see how it unfolds, where you're like, they are smothering the paint. And mm-hmm. you're just like that, there's, so th- that, the ability to have a strong defensive comportment, even with him guarding threes was like, wow, okay, there really might be something there. Well, you know, it's funny. We had a, a Cavs top assistant coach, Sidney Lowe on the pod to kind of do a season preview. And he mentioned that like Lori was one of the best workers on the team. Like he right. unprompted, he was just like this this kid. This kid is like really really stunned me with how what a great teammate and worker he is. And I don't which feel wasn't like what was his, I expected at that all. That wasn't his like... reputation around the league. I feel like he was kind of reputed to be kind of a floaty guy that just kind of was you know a product of his environment. And then you know he you know you were just betting that the shooting would would carry through and so like i i feel like the the lori experience here has been very very different from reputation and you know we do talk about that length defensively and you know i found a really kind of interesting stat because the Cavs are despite being huge absolutely horrific on the defensive boards they're 29th they're, yeah. they're 29th they have a bunch of spindly dudes that are, are not you know, do not have strong lower bodies that are getting bumped off they have you know a small backcourt that that does not rebound at all so they don't help either and uh, what I noticed is that they're only 15th in opponent second chance points allowed, despite giving up offensive boards on 31% of their possessions. And, uh, you know, I do think that's a testament to the fact that they are still able to smother the lane. So, like, not all offensive boards are made equal, right? Like, mm-hmm. like teams are getting getting putbacks, but when they get the ball, they're, they've got a sea of arms to shoot through. So it just feels like this, this proof of concept that I don't think any of us were really on board for no. is just kind of, like, continuing to cement itself. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, in your opinion, like, if the dam's going to break, where and why? Because it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what in what's what trends are kind of, like will eventually reverse and cook this team. And a lot of the trends are like kind of not in their favor. Like Lori can't hit a shot, <laughs> like, you know, and, right. and and guys are getting hurt. So like, if, if you think that this is going to fall apart, like, uh, you know, and they're going to eventually have to move off of that three big look, what do you think the reason would be? I mean, my guess would be that just there you're not able to score enough with it. Like even if, if Mark, if and when Markman's shot comes around, it's just, 
that the way that the paint can get choked off, uh, you know, Mobley still coming along with his shot making his ability to, to threaten a defense out there. I think you you might wind up getting a lot more prove it kind of defenses saying we're going, yeah, you, if you want to lurk in the dunker, okay, fine. But we're going to keep, you know, all five guys are basically going to have a foot in the paint, you know, and now, Dar- uh, and if Darius Garland's going to sh- you know, shoot 10 threes a game, all right, let's see it. I don't think he's, you know, defenses might say, I'm going to need him to prove to me that he's going to do it. Cause I don't think he's going to come off that screen and fire that often. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously that, again, we talk about, you know, this whole learning curve, like if we, what we learn is, Hey, he is comfortable doing that. And that's a comfortable shot for him. And he's going to knock it down at a high percentage or at, at as high a percentage as you'd assume, given what his shot making looks like, you know, then, you know, so much the better. Aren't we lucky as Cavs fans for that? Like, yeah. um, but my guess would be, it would be that. And then just like sort of overall, they don't actually, the Cavs are down to like 18th in, in, in defense efficiency. So it's not, they're not like wildly outperforming their shot profile. They're not, um, you know, uh, you know, having like crazy, crazy luck in terms of opposing shot. Like, so if you're telling me this, it's going to fall apart, it's probably going to be because I just, they're not going to be scoring enough with that lineup, but, and so they're going to need to figure out how to downsize, uh, or add more shooting into it with a Coro in there. They're, they're um, not super flexible right now. I think that's the yeah. biggest thing is it, it, right now, because they're so small in the backcourt and they're so big in the front court. Yeah. If, it, if those lineups aren't working, I don't think JB's got like a bunch of Trump cards to play right now because yes. Coro hasn't quite taken off yet. Mm-hmm. And then you got lottery. Dylan Windler's not and Dylan yet Windler. the next Duncan Robinson. We're, we're, we're keeping we our tried. fingers crossed. We're, we're trying but, you to will know. our way into that one. <laughs> well, that's a, I mean, that was like the joke that, you know, when you asked me, you know, like my initial impressions when the deals went through the summer and they was like, all right, so they attacked Allen and then Mobley and now Mark. And I was like, it was like where we're going. We don't need wings. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, but, uh, but they, you know, the, the, so that that's, and obviously those are some of the hardest pieces to find the two way wings, the, the guys who can defend multiple positions and shoot, you know, play make. So you mentioned that, you know, Okoro was kind of overstretched because of that. Like you already had two smaller guards that needed to play a lot. So he wanted to be in the three and it's maybe, you know, undersized and overstretched for that kind of responsibility. Um, Dylan Windler, obviously, if he can stay healthy and speak and be, uh, consistently competitive or consistently productive there. Jetty Osmond, nice obviously. New York. Ha- yeah, and it has had a couple of nice games like that, you know, where it's like, hey, remember, we do have a couple of wings here that just haven't always been healthy or that productive. Like if you get the, you know, upper cor- upper percentile versions of uh, Windler and Osmond, that m- provides more flexibility and gives JB more options. Um, but I think, yeah, you're, you're right to point, like that's where both either in terms of being able to stop those guys and being able to, you know, uh, produce from the wing on the other end. That's kind of where the lineup construction falls apart. Um, but again, like as the season goes and as Mobley grows, like the possibility that he can be more of, maybe he's your answer on guarding some of those guys too. Now he's kind of reedy and, you know, you know the bigger wings, you know, you're, you know, LeBron's and Kawhi's are probably going to muscle him up, but like they do that to everybody, you know, yeah. and, and, and whatever he learns in those matchups now that just goes in the computer for, for the future. And, and I, I mentioned this before, I just kind of want to make sure I, I underline it. I think the thing that's been most impressive to me about him, and it maybe goes along to sort of the general approach with the Cavs right now, what, what you see from it, it's not like a young, there's often with young teams and young guys, it's like, you're racing and rushing to try to prove yourself, right? Mm-hmm. I have to prove I can I can get buckets. I have to prove I deserve big minutes. I have to prove I'm worth the, the I, it was like a, a good decision to pick me and I'm worth this contract or whatever. Nothing about them seems rushed. They get down big, they chisel back into the game. They need to figure out how to how to uh, you know manufacture good possessions late. 
Garland and Rubio are steady on the ball. You put Mobley in the middle of actions in his like fifth game, and he's just going out there and taking care of business. Allen, all right, tonight you would just need to be posting up Yusuf Nurkic and putting him in the basket. Mm -hmm. That's not really your game, but all right, go and do it. Like there's a lot of like calm, which I think is. And and not a lot of ego either. You know, no no 20 point scores so far. And like, I feel like the Cavs, if there's one thing that Justin and I really liked about this rebuild, which, you know, has caught caught a lot of flack from the larger NBA community. But one thing we've liked is that the Cavs have almost exclusively in the draft targeted dudes who work super hard and clearly adore basketball. Mm-hmm. Colin, you can't keep him out of the gym. Darius, total gym rat. Okoro, yeah. gym rat. Mobley, like a little easygoing, but like just you know, they, they all showed IQ. up three weeks prior to camp, right? Exactly. And, yeah. And, and all the takes are rushed now. Like it's, sure. it's 2021. Everyone's rushing at takes, and, and I see a lot of like comments about like the, the draft and, and even redrafting three weeks into the season. And I, I think <laughs> not to minimize our, our own guy here, um, but I, I do think when you look at Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes, an important thing to remember is both of those guys were drafted to situations where there was a lot of talent around them, where these are high IQ guys that are connecting pieces. They look to make the right play, and that really helps in comparison into someone they're, they're, like a Jalen Green, Green. The yeah a Jalen Green where there's just there's no one setting the table for you you need to go out there and, and do everything and I mean Cavs fans have seen that end of the spectrum too right like we saw Colin Sexton as a rookie we saw Darius Garland as a rookie we've seen uh, Isaac Okoro when they were banged up last season trying to do a lot coming off a of camp so uh, I, I would caution people not to rush but at the same time you can also appreciate the fact that someone like an Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes is ahead of the curve and excelling in that role because as much as there is the talent around them i think your point is a smart one dan where sometimes you still see smart players good talented young players still want to make that big impression and maybe press and force things a a little more than we've seen from mobley i think the other thing too it's funny to as you point out barnes and and they're obviously their proximity in the draft and their styles of play are are you know somewhat more similar than i maybe i mean also i'm not a not a, a much of a college guy. But it's a, it, We're not either. Of whole, us either. No. Not, not, <laughs> no, no, no shade to you know college basketball kickoff and everything. I'm not you know no shade to my my NCAA brethren. I just don't have a whole lot of time. I got two small kids and I barely do this job well. So look at you. You're um, you're honest. Some people have pretend like they watch every single college game and every single NBA game. No, that that's be, refreshing. <laughs> be way too easy to, to to figure out that I'm lying. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I'm like I'm mispronouncing dudes' names and I'm just getting everything wrong. Um, but I think that, uh, it's just really funny to think about, and maybe this is the kind of thing that, uh, as Cavaliers, uh, you know, fans and podcasters, you, you'd like, you may be like banging the table or pointing at the screen and saying like, I would not have assumed heading into the season that we would be saying parallel levels of surrounding talent in Mm -hmm. Toronto and Cleveland, right? Like just by reputation, you say like, all right, well, Pascal Siakam has made, has made an all, an all-star team, all NBA, I forget. Um, uh, Fred Van Vliet almost made the all-star team last year. OG Ananobi, everybody's been picking for most improved player for two years. NBA Um, champions. NBA champions, right. Guys who who we've seen deliver on on the sort of bigger stages. And then I don't know that anybody in Cleveland, I mean, people thought thought well of Jared Allen during his time in Brooklyn, thought that he probably should have been the starter there, even when the DeAndre Jordan experience uh, came to town. Um, Everyone loved him until it was time to pay him. (laughs) <laughs> of course right yeah or, or until other people said it was time to pay somebody else um and then you know like uh, rubio you know somebody that is you know re- widely regarded as a floor raiser but not you know not a high-end point guard 
Garland, people weren't so sure about Sexton. Obviously, you mentioned people have some questions about it. Can he impact the game by doing anything but scoring, as if scoring 24 points a game is a crime? Um, you know, this idea that though that talent suddenly starts to look a lot better when like the right piece snaps into place. Yeah. And so suddenly Mobley elevates or provides a better context for evaluating other guys and, and Rubio as well. I don't want to, you know, undersell him. You are able to have, you know, a guy who knows how to get guys shots when they need it, when they need them, how to present them with like the opportunities they need to kind of, uh, and, you know, just capably uh, professionally run possessions in a second unit where that there hasn't been a whole lot of that in Cleveland. So all of a sudden now you have the context for development and, and for evaluation and, you know, we've seen it in, you know, count, pick your team, Atlanta, when all of a sudden, you know, you bring in veteran talent and all of a sudden Trey Young's not a loser who can't win anymore. He's, a, you know, an all NBA caliber point guard. Um, Phoenix, all of a sudden you get uh, Chris Paul there and it's not like Devin Booker is a good stats, bad team guy. He's actually, you put professional talent around him. It looks pretty darn good. Yeah. And I think I, so all, all that to say. I don't know that the uh, the general evaluation of what was around in Cleveland matched perhaps the skills that are actually that, that the players individually had, and then you see a pro, more a sort of appropriate context around them, and you're like, oh wow, okay, that's what that guy can do. That's what he is on a good team, mm-hmm. and I think that's like a rising tide that lifts all boats, and it's really really cool to see that Mobley is already that sort of like or has the potential at least to be that kind of clarifying agent and like force multiplier this early on. That's an exciting and rare thing. And so like, you're, you're absolutely right, Justin, to point to the idea that it's early and we, you know, we pump your brakes. The flip side of that though, is that tomorrow's not promised on anything. So enjoy it while you're seeing it. And it is exciting to see. Absolutely. And to, to your point as well, like I, I think the Cavs went through a little bit of that last year, right? Like when they brought in Andre Drummond, it was okay. We don't know how long he's going to be part of this situation, but let's see how the guards play with a center like that. Yep. It didn't work out. Then they brought in Jared Allen and the chemistry was immediately obvious between he and Darius Garland. Both of them seemed to, to benefit from that. Colin Sexton also benefited from it. And then you bring in Evan Mobley and okay, there's automatic chemistry and it fits well with Garland. He, they both make each other look better. Uh, the fit is good with Jared Allen. And I, I know when they brought in Laurie Markin and the, my mindset, and, and still, I, I think ultimately the plan is to get a wing, like to, to get a small forward. I I, I don't think Laurie Markkinen is the long-term solution at small forward. Um, but I, I think you bring in Laurie off the bench. You can realistically get Laurie, Mobley, and Allen 32 minutes a night if you wanted to between the five and the four, right? Where Mo, uh, Laurie's coming in and he's providing spacing for Allen as the four. He's doing the same thing for Mobley when he's playing at the five and, and really kind of helping accentuate that. But uh, in the meantime, like I, I like seeing that there is creativity from JB Bickerstaff. He's not in, in the mindset of, oh, yeah, let, like let's get a little bit of weird. Like, yeah, this isn't conventional, but. At the end of the day, you want to get as much talent as you can on the floor. And the fact that Kevin Love came into this season healthy and, and trying hard, like you want to find a way to get him minutes. You, you want to find a way to get lower the minutes he deserves if he's playing hard. So it's I, I funny, like to, it's funny I like to see that, that flexibility. It's funny that you say that because really JB's radical idea is just play the best player on his team. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept, right? Yeah, like he was like, yeah, well, you know, I think Kevin Love's better than, uh, you know, Dylan Wendler right now. So I'm going to just play Kevin Love. And, yeah, think, it, and it's not that crazy, really. Yeah, I th- and I think there's something to it, too. Like, um, just because we know, like, we know what teams look, what successful teams look like. And we've seen a lot of successful teams that have had sort of very similar 
builds and you know the the positional uh role responsibilities and things like that all right but what if you don't got those guys it's like it's an episode of chopped right this is what's in the basket mm-hmm. so how do you make something good out of it yeah and um whether it continues to be delicious we'll see but i think the general idea of like don't just there's you can't just like punt on trying because you don't have the uh tailor-made three and d mikhail bridges clone right yeah. like Everyone wants that guy. It's why Mikhail Bridges just made $90 million. And because he would have made a hundred if he got to unrestricted free agency uh, or got to restricted free agency rather. So, all right, but you don't have that guy. So what do you do? You figure out something else and it might look a little bit like kind of bubble gum and duct tape some nights held together a little bit awkward. But if you can figure out how to styles, make fights your way through some matchups and make some other teams uncomfortable with the way that like, by having to play a different way, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you can find yourself in some pretty interesting situations. So yeah, to your, I think that's absolutely right. J.B. Bickerstaff deserves a lot of credit. Um, you know, Kobe Altman has obviously come under fire for the way that some of the moves have worked out and some of the relationships have worked out. But I think the general idea of, were you going to be able to get uh, Jared Allen, a player like Jared Allen or a player like Larry Markinen on the unrestricted market, just like on, you know, as if you were open bidding to whatever other markets are available, probably not. And I I say that no disrespect to Cleveland, but the, uh, it's unlikely that those guys were going to be like, that's my first choice in unrestricted free agency. So you make, so you make aggressive moves when you can to get that, to import the talent. And then you trust your coach to figure it out. And you trust, as you, as you said, these guys who are like, it's not about, uh, you know, I need to be the marquee in X, Y, or Z way. It's like, I'm there, you know, none of these guys have really won at high level. So like, let's figure out how to win. We're, we, with the exception of Kevin Love and Rubio to some degree, but like how let's figure out how to do it. And I think you gotta be pretty excited by the early returns. If for, if for, if for no other reason than like, you know, you're getting to watch the competitive team night in and night out. And that is not a given for teams that are in rebuild. Uh, and it's not something to, to sort of take lightly when you actually see it, the light start to come on a little bit. And, yeah, and I, mean, I, I think one of the, the criticisms, too, with the offseason was like moving on from Torian Prince, who was kind of the conventional option at small forward and, and bringing in Ricky Rubio when some people said, hey, you know, maybe you could get a, like a Raul Neto or something like that and have Prince so yeah, that you me. could play a more conventional style. Yeah. <laughs> not right. to flame my co-host, but I mean, there I, you go. I, I was cool with the trade, but I was like some you know, random people like I'm not going to say any names, but like, you know, like a C, <laughs> like, a, like, like user C Rodriguez was really on the Raul Neto train. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, like, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I, I think where the three big lineup falls apart potentially is on the offensive end, because I, I some people have pointed out that the Cavs O rating with Sexton this season was 99.2. And with him off, it was 115.5. And for me, I was looking at that as that was positive regression that the Cavs were due for. Like at some point, Colin Mm -hmm. Sexton was going to start hitting his three-point shots. Now you no longer have that as an option. So yes, maybe you could do a lot of what you were doing, but then... at the same time, you might not get eight for nine from three from Ricky Rubio. Like th- there was regression on the other side that was coming down. So uh, we're, we're still waiting for the, the timeline with Colin Sexton. We'll, we'll find out how long he's going to be out. But uh, speaking of timelines, do you have a rough idea? Can you break some news on this podcast on how long it's going to take for you to recover from that Ricky Rubio performance? Because that's got to be haunting you a little bit. Well, OK, so I'll say this. You talk about, you know, regression candidates, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the the Knicks all last season. So, yeah, for, for anyone who is watching who is not aware of this, I am a Knicks fan. I know I'm not supposed to have actual fandom as like the 
nerdy national reporter guy, but like I'm a Knicks fan. I have been my whole life and uh, I've, I've served enough punishment for that. I've served yeah. my time. Um, <laughs> and so the Knicks started to be good last season. And I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. Um, the Knicks uh, gave up a lot of threes last season. They gave up a lot of shots at the rim and they opponents did not shoot very well uh, at from three last season against the Knicks. And all season long, smart analytics people were like, there's no such thing as like great three point uh, defense. It's all luck. Like people are missing these shots now. They're going to start coming back. And then, of course, uh, the Hawks uh, brought a lot of three pointers with them to the first round of the playoffs, which was not so good. And this season, you're seeing the same sort of defensive shot profile. Lots of threes given up, lots of corner threes given up, and lots of teams are making them. I did not expect it to be Ricky Rubio, has somebody who has watched <laughs> and covered the NBA for a long time. I did not we expect didn't either. all of them to be from him. Um, but, uh, it was, it's kind of come, especially, and then the Knicks also made the, the, the decision to kind of shift their backcourt in the off season out goes Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock in comes Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. And that's going to provide some big nights for opposing backcourts. Uh, the hope is that you can outscore them. And then the thing that I think, you know, as you guys have been pointing to, you got to be excited about if you're a Cavs fan is that you're not getting as many of those big nights from other backcourt, you know, like it's not yeah. like the, the, you know, the you're, they're getting busted up by, uh, you know, at the point of attack by Derek Rose and whatnot. So um, it hurts. I'm not going to lie, um, <laughs> but you were kind enough to extend an invitation. So I felt it would be not really very gracious of me to be in my like morning, you know, wearing a shade and uh, you know, uh, out here rejecting your 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 willingness to to speak to me. So true, true professionalism. I I do appreciate that. I, I try. Do wanna, I do want to ask about Rubio because you know it, the Cavs. I think their over under was twenty six and a half this year, and I think one of the reasons you point to that is that they've got a starting lineup of 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 year olds. Um, and then you know you you kind of look at it and it's like what's the what's the road to a team this young being successful historically, almost no roadmap for this. I mean, like sure. maybe the Thunder, you know, but like with three they had some top, Hall of Famers. Um, yeah. they're, they're they, they, had, they, had, they had a little bit of talent. Um, so like, you know, like it, it felt like when Justin and I were kind of prognosticating the season, it was like, well, they're gonna have to get a lot out of these vets on their bench. Like, what do you, what value do you think a guy like Ricky adds for a team like this? Cause it's not like, I mean, yeah, he went ballistic against the Knicks, but he's had nights where he went like one of nine from the field and was plus 20. Um, yeah. Like, like how, how much of an ad do you think he's been for this team of almost primarily kids? Well, I think, and it's a sort of a, almost like a bummer for Rubio that this is, I don't I mean, this was not where his career was supposed to go, right? He was coming over, he was La Pistola, he was the second coming of Pistol Pete, and he was going to be this like flashy star point guard, you know, the whole bit. And he's wound up being a real floor raiser, organizer, like, I'm going to make sure we're running quality NBA offense when I'm on the floor. I'm going to take like unglamorous uh, defensive assignments. And I'm not, he's, especially after he tore ACL and now he's up in age a little bit, like he's, he's not as quick and defensively, but in the right places, I know where to be. I know where to direct you to be. And I'm, we're going to play organized professional basketball when I'm on the court, mm -hmm. even if you are young, even if you are green, even if we're sort of still figuring a lot of things out and while he might not be, if he, if he was a starting point guard or, or, you know, that was his, his primary job responsibility might be, you know, middle of the pack in the NBA, maybe lower than that. Cause there's a lot of yeah. talent position as a backup point guard. He is very high on that list up near the top of the list because 
he brings to you a certain level of calm on and like seen every coverage, seen every situation, uh, understands the, the, the rhythm and the timing of his team and how to get guys going when they need it. So I think on a young team, especially one that's sort of unsettled, he brings, uh, he provides a real, uh, you know, a real sort of steady foundation. He's not coming to take Darius Garland's job and Darius Garland knows that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, if they're seeing time together, it's like, I got to rest possessions away. No, no, now we've got two smart guys who can run pick and roll and set guys up for shots and who are comfortable taking shots on their own. Um, he's not going to come in there and try to like, with the exception of when he plays the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, take, <laughs> take shots away from uh, Evan Mobley or Jared Allen. Or, you know, he, he's there to facilitate. He's there to uh, advance those guys' game and their understanding of the game. Um, he's there to... When you're playing Denver and the energy is kind of down a little bit and somebody's getting in his kitchen, he's not going to take any, any crap about it. He's going to go back at them. He's been in big games. He's not going to wilt, right? Um, it's un, uh, broadly, like globally for his career, it's kind of a bummer that he was like the bridge point guard in Utah to uh, Mike Conley. Yeah. He was the bridge point guard in Phoenix to Chris Paul. But those teams grew up in part because Ricky Rubio was there to elevate those young guys. Donovan Mitchell gets to have his training wheels a little bit. He doesn't have to run every possession because Ricky Rubio can. Devin Booker, again, that, that context, he gets to like see what professional uh, possessions look like when somebody else is running them like that, and he's got a real steady point guard. I think that is a, a wonderful asset to bring to a young team and it's still sort of figuring out what its pecking order is and everybody's sort of figuring out what their role distribution is. And, and, and even Anthony know. Edwards credited him as like the, the best yes. teammate he's had, someone that, that's been really helpful for him, right? I absolutely. Totally forgot about it, about his brief tenure in Minnesota. But yeah, like, <laughs> uh, and he's the bridge point guard there to uh, D'Angelo Russell, which we'll see how that plays out. But um, but uh, but that, yeah, like that, it's, th that is the value he brings to a team. And um, the shots aren't always going to fall and some nights he's going to be uh, a step slow on defense, but that, that like, this is how we run things that mm -hmm. doesn't take a night off. And I think that's really valuable for a team trying to develop a culture and a style and a system. T totally agree. And, and you know what, maybe he was the bridge point guard to Ben Simmons. We don't know if he's going to end up in Minnesota or what the deal is. <laughs> that's very possible. Uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but one last question, because I, I I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. Do you see any similarities between this year's Cavs and last year's Knicks as teams that maybe didn't do any like mm -hmm. dramatic overhaul of their roster, but you know, they, they got the internal growth. They brought in some veterans, um, both coaches, uh, obviously, uh, Next had the uh, tips come in uh, Cavs JB, I, I think is showing a little more versatility, like kind of uh, bucking some of the trends and the, the narratives that were there because now there's a motion offense coming into Cleveland. It was, Oh, he doesn't play young guys. And, and now he almost exclusively plays young guys uh, just kind of going against what people's assumptions were. Do you see similarities between those teams and kind of how they went about overachieving obviously we hope the Cavs follow uh, a similar trajectory and right, it's right, not right. just a, a week three thing but you know what it's optimism season baby yeah absolutely there's no reason to, to to shoot yourself in the foot there I think that the biggest thing for me with the Knicks outside of you know Julius Randle suddenly being like a amazing <laughs> a, a number one option like six years into his career was that um 
there for there, you know, and, and it, it, there were so many different voices and so many different ideas of how the team should look and what they should play and what style and who should be primary and who should be secondary. And it was like, this is what we do. We are going to be last year it was we are going to be a team that plays defense and is like extremely well drilled on what our defensive principles are every night. This is what we're trying to do offensively. Wasn't all that creative. A lot of times it was a lot of Julius Randall, please hit a jumper, but like, <laughs> this is, this is what we are. This is what our rotations are going to look like. You're going to come out at this time, every quarter, every first quarter, you're going to come back in this, uh, to start the second or with two minutes, or whatever. And uh, honestly, that was, it's a weird thing. It's like not the kind of thing that you put into a story necessarily, but when I was watching a lot of tape on the, the three big lineups, especially I'm like, yeah, they're coming out the same time every, you know, those first six minutes, bang, they're out at 557. And then you're going to this look, you know, these two together, and then one of them goes out and then it's these two together and love is in at this point. And like, it was just a JB saying like, this is what we do. And this is how we're going to play. These are how the rotations are going to work. And this is what our style is going to be. And if you can establish that and establish, show some success with it and get buy-in off of that, that is the foundation that is so hard for perpetual rebuilders Mm -hmm. to come by. And the Knicks for years didn't have, because there was no reason to believe whatever the next style was going to work. You start seeing some results and you're like, okay, I buy into that a little more. And then that, you know, it becomes a virtuous cycle. It's, you know, they, they build on each other. It would not surprise me if that was, if you were able to, to draw some similarities by season's end in Cleveland, because it's just, if you can set up, this is who we are, and this is what we want to get to. And here's the reason to believe it can work. Um, it goes such a long way toward bringing you out. Like you can't go with shy of signing Kevin Durant, signing LeBron James, whatever. You can't go from abject to contending. It's gotta be the steps along the way. And I think the reason that I'm I'm bullish on what, what I've seen in Cleveland and I think why Cavs fans should be excited is this is not like somebody's averaging 35. It's yeah, it is the it is like installing a floor. And once you do that, you can build on top of it. All, yeah. all I've our, our listeners are probably sick of me saying this, but all I've really wanted in the post LeBron Cavs era, both the first time and this time around, is for the team to be more than the sum of their parts. And to and have an identity I, that's not rooted in LeBron. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think this is really the first team where I've gone, you know, like if you just add all the, you know, the box score numbers up, the, you don't see anyone just jumping off the page. I mean, even Mobley, who's been great, is like 15 and 9 and yeah. 2. You know, it's not like crazy. Our leading like, scorer, Sexton, 16 points a game. Garland, 15.4. Like it's it's yeah. just it, team it, effort. But they, they are, I think, I think teams when – when they're running into them so far this season, they're like, what? Why, why, why is the game still close? Go, go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had yeah, that thought exactly a few the times. Kind of, the, the kind of team I was, I've kind of been hoping to root for. And I, I think we're starting to see it. And, you know, it, time will tell if that, if it is just an early season blip, but I mean, they've gotten through one of the roughest schedules in the league so far. I mean, I, I think they've played three home games so far. Yeah. Uh, is they, the correct uh, number. And they play four the, in the next yeah. week though. Yeah, <laughs> Hell yeah. God. So it's been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, and and I think you're I think you're right. I think if uh, the, the thing that with with the Knicks fans especially, I mean obviously we are a, a pretty ridiculous breed of people, but the thing that for 20 years all I, you know anybody that would that was listening or that would ask, I'd say like if you just show this is a team that's going to compete and not give up easy stuff every night. That mm-hmm. looks like it has an idea of what it wants to accomplish on any given night and consistently. 
um, you're then you know the city's going to fall in love with that team where they might not be the most talented, but if you could show like they will not give up easy stuff and they will they will look professional night after night, the city's going to fall in love with that team. That happened last season. The season you know where the hope is to build off of that. I think I have to imagine that you're not the only one thinking that way, Carter. I have to imagine that there's a lot of Cavs fans that are like, I just want to see something stable that looks like it's not that it's worth the investment of my time. Like, Mm -hmm. and with all due respect to to many of the players that have come through Cleveland last year, like it's been hard sometimes to be like, I'm going to tune in Wednesday at seven in February, you know, like um, there's a reason that you probably don't get a whole lot of national looks at Cleveland over the course of like February, March, a grand total of zero nationally games this season. (laughs) You know, right. And it's like, because there's not necessarily all have been reason to believe that what you're seeing is going to be replicable and what you're seeing is going to be consistent. And I think you have to feel pretty, pretty positive about this being the beginning of installing that sort of thing. And uh, um, I really, I, I would, given all that has transpired positive and negative over the last like eight years or 10 years in terms of like uh, the way the, the, the drastic shifts for the franchise it'd be cool to see like something stable on a trajectory. Um, so couldn't agree uh, so I'm, gl- I'm glad to get to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I mean, you said our words much more eloquently than we ever could. We, we oh, stumble and we that. bumble and fumble around and that's just, you know, the way we do things, but we really, really appreciate you coming on. This, this was a lot of fun. Uh, before I wrap this thing up, do you have uh, anything you'd like to plug or, or let the listeners know about that you have coming oh, up? Sh- Sure. Thank you very much. Um, it's funny you were, you were talking about, uh, I mentioned Scotty Barnes with, with uh, the, the Raptors earlier. I've been working on something on uh, his start and on the Raptors in general, just the idea of like, they, we kind of forget they spent a season in purgatory. Like they just kind of had to spend the entire year. Well, you don't, Justin, but yeah. um, <laughs> uh, they had to spend the entire season in Tampa and the idea like, this was not a bad team. They just had a really bad beat for a year and a half. And uh i was so wrong about them coming into this year i was so wrong like i justin I, I, hates toronto you have to understand <laughs> that. <man. laughs> well we listen you, you can only hate the place that you love the most that's the uh, way there you go well they're the new york of the north uh and, and that's what it really comes we down to I was gonna say, and, over and, here, I, and i have a lot more affection for new york because you're you're looking after my large adult son rj barrett so uh <laughs> that's okay. Listen, I, I have a lot more love for uh, Toronto. They treated me well up there in the finals. Um, but uh, uh, and in New York, I am treated badly. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, so I'll have something on him uh, tomorrow or Thursday. I don't know. Um, more things coming. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Your Man Divine, which is showing on the bottom of the screen there now that I see. Uh, and I'm at the uh, theringer.com, uh, the NBA page there, usually three or so times a week, um, sometimes more, sometimes less. But uh, going to be doing a lot of writing because as it turns out, that is my job. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan. We really, really do appreciate your time. Uh, to our listeners, make sure you're checking out all of his work. It's fantastic. And as I said, you like basketball. It, it's, you know, it's nice to read people that are passionate about the game because I, I happen to like this game quite a bit. Uh, and if our listeners like this podcast quite a bit, like and subscribe on YouTube. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, you can do so by leaving a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.